Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 113 of the Double Identity Podcast with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. Double Density, you're home to tech tales and paranormal primers. Now, first things first, Angelo, the time is such a relative and weird thing, isn't it? I feel like we haven't done this in weeks, and I think that's correct. That is correct. I calculated about three weeks now in between episodes. Wow. Um, I sound like Owen Wilson there. Wow. Wow. Let me be the first to congratulate you on air. I'd actually be the only one because I'm usually the one who's here. Uh, Happy New Year to your marriage. Thank you. Happy New Year to my marriage too, Angelo. You signed a card that said Happy New Year in it. I was so pleased. Steph looked at it and said, that's a podcast thing, isn't it? And I laughed. Yeah. And I also did not write you a check for your wedding or give you cash. I sent you an e-transfer. So let us talk about how great that is, by the way. I was too like, so you sent an electronic funds transfer to me on the day of my wedding. I was able to accept it. And you got worried because the day afterwards, I or like a day and a half in, I hadn't accepted it. Yeah. Well, I, you had told me you had automatic deposits. I was expecting to get that automatic deposit message and I didn't. So I was worried I did something wrong, but I didn't. You just waited and waited and waited. It's weird because I have it set up, so I don't know what the problem is. Maybe it's after a certain amount or something. I haven't, you know, uh, gone into the details yet as to why that didn't work. Uh, needless to say, uh, very appreciated, uh, very modern way of uh, handling things here uh, at my nuptials. Very appreciated. I, uh, not to say that I don't appreciate, you know, other forms of currency. It's just yours was so much more direct. Yeah, very easy. Just right in your bank account. So we, Ended up handing out at my wedding, which is funny. And uh, we'll post a uh, picture of us, uh, me in my uh, wedding tux, you looking very dapper uh, in a getup, uh, you know, because we hung out. Yeah, it was fun. Um, I must say Brian's wedding is probably one of the nicest weddings I've been to because of the view. We were out overlooking a cliff quite nice in the middle of nowhere, which was kind of cool, too. Uh, I had to take a couple of gravel roads. Siri wasn't sure where we were. She actually said, uh, beware, GPS might not work. <laughs> really? Because my, my older uh, GPS worked just fine. And, and, and No, but it was just a message, beware, might not work, but it worked. Right. It was fine. Let right. me right to the place. Um, but a nice, nice place, dirt roads, uh, some crazy big houses in the middle of nowhere. I know. On the way there. Uh, something to note too is that uh, we promised we might look for UFOs during my wedding. We didn't have time to do that during the reception, and I apologize to you and to our listeners. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but we did roast marshmallows. We did. We did actually roast marshmallows. Uh, thank you for coming, by the way. Uh, it was great to see your wife. Uh, usually, uh, this is a Brian and Angela endeavor, but this time our better halves were with us. They got to talk and how they get shunned uh, during podcasting. Although exactly. my wife is not even here tonight, so uh, <laughs> she just left the, she has, the house she, completely. She has more of a life than you do, right? She's because she's out at a show tonight. No, she was at a show last night. She's at a barbecue tonight. Wow. Okay, so she has a packed social calendar. You are busy. Uh, card tricks, I guess. There we go. I figured sooner or later you'd have a deck of cards on hand to do uh, some kind of sound effect to annoy me. And sure enough, what, we're like three minutes into this thing. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Oh, Angelo, it's been, I've missed you, and yet I, my life is completely calm without you. So I, I don't know how to live with and without you. Yeah, we haven't been talking too much online because we've been so busy with stuff. But now uh, we're back on track. We'll be recording every couple of weeks, I guess. I'm, I'm going to be gone soon. Yes. So we're going to be doing a uh, Newlyweds episode next episode. I was going to announce that at the end of the show, but whatever. Here it is. Uh, Steph was on in February, I believe, and we had such a good time. We think we might have a whole show uh, planned out for our listeners in your absence because you will be going away uh, with your family wherever you do. You know, kind of uh, it's an amusement park, right? We're going to Universal Studios this year to see Harry Potter World. Let me add in an Owen Wilson wow there because I clearly do not care. 
my kids will care. I will care. It'll be fun. Uh, we're not going to be at uh, the theme parks too much. We're only doing three days at the theme parks. And then uh, the rest of the time, we'll just be at our nice hotel resort in Orlando. Orlando's a nice place. Will so you be, be renting a car to look for the skunk ape? I will not, unfortunately. Will um, you be driving around with a, one of those giant fan boats? No, I probably won't. We're probably just going to stay around uh, the resort. But uh, I don't. I kind of kind of worry about going out in like uh, general population Florida. Are you just worried that there's going to be like a zombie outbreak or something? Who knows? Florida's a strange place, as we've established. It is very true. Uh, just to come back to the wedding for a second, we had several people approach you and asking you about uh, the status of your like magic tricks and things like that, right? It, that was so odd because I, I, I've hardly like. I've talked about it on the show because of the experience of like ordering stuff from this company, uh, Vanishing Ink, which is uh, I'm actually impressed with the way they deal with customers and stuff. They have a really cool tracking thing too. Like I've never had like Amazon doesn't do this where you literally see your package on a map coming to your house. It's kind of cool. Uh, anyway, I, I've hardly have I talked about it that much on the show. I think we've yes, only like discussed absolutely. it on a couple of episodes. More than enough episodes. Yeah, it was it was just odd having people come up to me. I don't know at all. And talking to me about the podcast, uh, your best man started talking to me about magic tricks. I had no idea what he was saying. It was really weird. <laughs> yeah, that is uh, not a surprise there. Uh, I'm glad that you're getting punished in public for this because I feel punished every single episode. Um, speaking of Vanishing Inc., you actually had, uh, you had ordered from them recently and you really enjoyed it. Yeah. The, like I By the way, this is not they, a promo. Not a promo, right? No, no, they don't pay us for this at all, but... Uh, I feel like they're forward thinking. Uh, you can pay with Apple Pay or just regular credit cards or PayPal. Uh, the Apple Pay thing is kind of neat because you just, if you're on your iPad, you literally put your thumbprint there and uh, that's it. You've ordered uh, your magic books. Pretty cool. How is that going, by the way? Great. I'm. I, it's a fun little hobby, right? Like I've said it before now, like we... I have my like three hobbies I do. One of this, one of them is this podcast. Child rearing. Like, no, that's not a hobby. That's a responsibility. Okay. There's a difference. I'm very confused uh, by those. Yeah, there's the the music. I like pl- I like playing the music. And you uh, used the words hardcore jazz today, by the way, which really perturbed me. But uh, that is neither here nor there. Well, it was in uh, describing the band. Uh, Thank you, scientists, where their guitarists can do like some really tasteful shredding and then switch to like jazz, which is kind of cool. Hardcore jazz, though. Ha- hardcore jazz, yes. The Adam Neely School of Jazz, and which um, is just regular jazz, I think. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I don't just, understand. Like, you're trying to make it sound tough. Yeah, well, to me, like jazz is not easy to me. Like, I I love listening to it. I can sort of play some jazz on the piano, but not very well. Uh, I kind of know like just the same thing over and over again. But it makes me feel good to play it, so that's cool. And my other hobby now is magic, which is kind of fun. Although, uh, did I tell? I did tell you this, and we had a good laugh in that my uh, wife walked in on me uh, doing magic and. Uh, I could have been doing some other things and uh, she would have been less disgusted. Double density. So before leaving, um, so I took some time off before the wedding and after the wedding to just sort of sit there because I needed to decompress. Um, the last day at my job, we were leaving early because one of the cool things about work is that we tend to do like a lot of social activities. And one of these is kind of like one of these like giving back to the community things. So we were going to pick up garbage in the neighborhood. Uh, it's a city initiative. They give you bags. They walk you around. Um, you sound like you're in prison. I know. Uh, we, we also got t-shirts, which were black, unfortunately not jumpsuits oh, um 
So I power down my computer, and as I turn it off, I hear this screeching, persistent, very, very loud beeping sound, and I'm very confused, and I'm checking everything, and the computer refuses to turn on. Now, I work in an open concept office. There are people around me. I'm sort of in the middle, uh, which is both like great and also like very disappointing, and uh, I like members of the IT team were in the other room, in an adjacent room, having a meeting, and they all get up, and they get out, and they sort of stare at me, and I stare back at them, and they go, what's that? I say, it's my computer, and they all pause, and none of them have ever heard of this. You don't know what the sound is. Uh, I thought maybe it was, you know, uh, or the computer stuck on a reboot or something like that. It turns out my motherboard and turning the computer off was fried. <laughs> the sound of a motherboard frying. Just beeping super loudly, obnoxiously. And the thing is, I I couldn't file a ticket with IT, ironically enough, because I was leaving and I didn't have the option to do so. Well, your computer's broken, so you can't even do a ticket there. So I, uh, my coworker was nice enough. He still had his computer on. He said, Hey, let me just, I'll file a ticket for you. And he was nice enough to do that. So in the interim, while I was gone, they set up a new computer for me and it's literally a brand new computer, like same, uh, uh, same chassis and everything, just new parts inside of it. Uh, and it also has an SSD. So, Hey, uh, I lucky win. you. I know. I know. I didn't even ask for it. So, I mean, most of their stuff is done, um, on different servers. So thankfully, I don't have much to save to my local drive, but still it's nice to know when I'm working on things, I can do so very quickly. We can't stress this enough. SSDs make a big difference on all computers. That's the biggest bottleneck at this point. Like your processor could be relatively slow. You can have just eight gigs of RAM and you'll be flying with an SSD. I also thought it was uh, the universe's way of saying you need to leave now. Yeah, you're done. Okay, go get married. It was kind of incredible, actually. Like, it was everyone was just like, what is going on here? Cause, you know, no one had ever heard a sound like that. And I, you know, I've been around computers a lot and I've never heard a sound like that myself. But apparently it's a very specific way in which a, a motherboard lets you know that it's done. Sound of a PC dying. It literally, yeah. And then I said, can I use the Office Mac? And they said, no, that's for the graphic design studio. So, you know, I live, I'll live, I'll survive. Who designed that Mac? Brian? <laughs> oh, you smooth man. Uh, probably Johnny Hive. Yeah, and he's leaving Apple, which uh, we weren't going to talk too much about Apple this week because there's not much news going on with Apple, like WWC passed by, and yes, the betas are out, and people are having trouble with them and all that stuff, but uh, Johnny Ive leaving Apple is huge, right? Let's get into this a little bit because it is huge. I mean, he is probably um, both the figurehead and the largest proponent of a lot of the uh, design changes in the last, like, what, 15 years, let's say? Oh, yes, for sure. Like, he's been there 30 years. Yeah, exactly. So, so let's say 15 uh, to 20. Yeah, he was there before Steve Jobs came back. And when Steve Jobs came back, he realized, oh, I have something special with this guy. Yeah, exactly. And he has been at the forefront of many of the different projects, right? But the funny thing is, is the watching the response to the news, um, sort of, uh, almost like a tech paparazzi style versus like the news itself. Well, it's, it's a lot of hot takes. Yeah, it's sort of like a uh, a bit of a gossip, right? Like, why is he leaving? Is he being pushed out like Scott Forstall was pushed out? Which is not the case, right? They actually, uh, at, at that point when Scott Forstall left, it was almost basically it came down to either Johnny Ive or Scott Forstall. Right. Also, something to note, like, as you're saying, he's been at the company multiple decades. Uh, sometimes you just you get tired and you want to move on, right? Like, there's only so much you could do. And if you feel like you've completed what you want to do with the company, then it's time to sort of explore new avenues, right? Well, people were saying that his ultimate project was the design of Apple Park, which he had a huge hand in doing. He's not an architect, but he's a designer, and he designed most of what you see at Apple Park. And after doing that, I think like just designing iPhones kind of seems boring to him at this point, and he wants to move forward with his own company, which I think Apple will likely be contracting from anyway. Yeah, so it's it's understood that they're going to be consulting with Apple. He must have felt even 
although he had a lot of power at Apple, slightly shackled by the fact that they're a consumer company and they do have, uh, even though their products are expensive, they have to maintain a certain budget. Whereas if he's unshackled and can do whatever he want, he could design like a perfectly white cube for $35,000. Right. Or, you know, so for example, like a perfect kind of like a fanboy criticism is the Apple Watch and the the gold Apple Watch, right? Which was, I think was like 17,000 US and people were just saying like, why have that? And it's because you can. You know, because the thing is that um, uh, Apple 20 years ago uh, could get away with a lot more due to their market position, where now um, they are, uh, you know, a market leader in a lot of these different electronics. And as such, they need to sort of marry um, design elements as well as mass production. Yes. And what Johnny Ive wants to do is more artistic than what Apple's doing. And that's fine if he wants to move on and do what he wants to do. And, you know, Apple's not going to crumble without him. I mean, there are multiple no. moving parts, right? Um, I mean, the thing is that, like, there's been uh, sort of like this thread saying that, you know, like maybe his boss and he, uh, you know, weren't getting along as much. He wasn't being given as much attention as when, you know, Steve Jobs is around, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, like the nature of different relationships still uh, without that, you still point to the fact that, you know, he has a job to do and he's been doing it. And Apple's really different from when Steve Jobs was there. Steve Jobs uh, was there uh, towards the end was when Apple was really taking off, right? He brought back Apple from the brink of like uh, bankruptcy. Since Tim Cook has been there, Apple has become the biggest company in the world in terms of profits and everything. So it's a very different company it was from when Steve Jobs was there. So I think this also has something to do with Johnny Ive leaving. He just, uh, he's kind of sort of fed up of the whole consumer thing. And Apple's way more consumer than they used to be. They were very much a, like a niche company for, well, for sure. quite I think a while. Steve Jobs was very interested in aesthetics and design. And that's why he and Johnny got along so well. And he kind of put a lot of trust in him. And then, you know, uh, you know, Tim Cook coming along. Tim Cook is obsessed with supply chain management, the idea of how to get from concept to consumer. And so with that in mind, of course, there's going to be a different set of priorities that come to the forefront when you try to shift from, as you were saying, like sort of like a niche company to a more widespread, widely recognized, uh, a mainstream, for lack of a better word, company in which they have multiple products in uh, you know multiple arenas trying to do well. When Tim Cook took over, they went from a design-focused CEO to a productions-focused CEO, and that's fine. Like, look, Apple's more successful under Tim Cook. Uh, are they still... Uh, the exciting company they used to be under Steve Jobs where you were really excited about every single product they, that came out, regardless of whether it was good or bad, uh, maybe not, right? Like the, the keynotes aren't as exciting. Uh, Steve Jobs was more of a showman than anything else. And Tim Cook is is just uh, a really good CEO. He does his job well, but he's not, uh, I wouldn't say he's as exciting as Steve Jobs ever was. No, I think his priorities lay elsewhere, right? So, you know, a more theatrical CEO doesn't exactly equate to a more uh, robust product necessarily and vice versa, right? So I do think that like the pivoting of Apple's, um, you know, strengths uh, from uh, sort of like the the nerdy niche type to, you know, the everyday consumer, um, you know, you do sacrifice a little bit of creativity there when you have to think about how, you know, you're trying to appeal to the 8 to 80s. Yes, and... Um, in the end, do you think this is actually for the best? 
I think new blood's always good in these situations, right? Someone's been there for 30 years. They've kind of walked the route they've gotten there. Um, I do understand that uh, there are now like multiple people fulfilling Johnny's role. We'll see how that um, sort of shakes out. And I think that like we're only able to like uh, accurately sort of like barometer that out, what, two, three years from now, let's say, like to give a healthy period of time for, um, you know, these projects that Johnny's been a part of to sort of wrap up and see in the future where these things are going, right? So I, for example, like, you know, the Apple Watch, the iPhone X, these are all things that were created under Johnny's watch. And uh, I think that like we'll need to give it some time before we can really say hey the post johnny period what did that look like what do these products look like how do they feel what is you know the difference in between you know uh the last sort of like 15 20 years and the next 20 years and they're not replacing him as a chief design officer either there's going to be that's uh, no longer going to be a title from what i understand i sent in my ms paint portfolio i'm waiting to hear back from them i don't think i'm going to get an interview but if i do guess it'll be a video one on my macbook yeah and they'll definitely have an office max for you to use <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank goodness I won't be hearing beeping everywhere. That's kind of my uh, new nightmare. Oh, well. Uh, we're going to move on to a uh, different nightmare, I think, uh, in the paranormal <laughs> section. That is uh, quite accurate. Angela, I will see you on the other side of things. See you there. Double Density presents the sounds of your youth. Density. Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we're switching gears from tech to the paranormal. So uh, last episode, I do believe it was, we were joking about perhaps bringing uh, one of our favorite features, one of our long dormant features um, back to the show. And like a really terrible cloud filled with uh, lightning and hail, uh, the gods have sort of given us a gift, Angelo, uh, as we enter a new portion, a new edition of Alien Cinema, my friend. So the film in the latest entry of the Alien Cinema segment is a 2018 documentary, and I'm using that in air quotes, called Bob Lazar Air 51 and Flying Saucers by Jeremy Corbell. Now, we hadn't planned on doing this um, just yet, and then it showed up on Netflix <laughs> here in yeah, Canada. I, I saw it pop up, and uh, I took a picture of it and sent to you and said, this is what we're doing for the next episode. And I got very angry about that. Well, so I had some mild excitement. I thought, oh, this... Hopefully it'll be good. Uh, no, it wasn't. Uh, spoiler alert. So uh, I think we'll do this and we'll link to this in the show notes. But uh, episode 51, we, care, we covered Area 51. One of the segments we talked about, of course, is uh, Bob Lazar, uh, the a man who coined the term Area 51. So technically he was working at S4, which was a nearby facility. But for all intents and purposes, Area 51, he's claiming that there are uh, recovered alien craft there. He wavers on whether or not he uh, saw an alien. He says yes and then no and then yes and no, depending on which interview you do listen to. And then he also... Uh, is the proponent of element 115, which is the basis of the supposed alien anti-gravity technology that allows them to move on and upwards. Where do we start with this movie? Um, so my thesis is this. So like, so I having watched this, right? If you were uh, 12, 13 years old, very persuasive piece of narrative film, right? Yeah. Sort of like that. Uh, what was that movie? Zeitgeist or whatever it was called. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And loose change, right? Yeah. Yeah. Looking back, you realize those films are not very good. 
<laughs> exactly. Um, so the thing is that Jeremy Corbell does a really good job of sort of uh, uh, keeping things dynamic on the screen, though he's very self-indulgent. So at the beginning, uh, we see Jeremy get some texts from Bob, um, sort of nitpicky, a uh, couple of things. I don't need to hear your Gandhi quote ringtone over and over. What? So what was that ringtone? Because in my notes, the first thing I wrote is that Jeremy Corbell has a weird ringtone on his iPhone. Right. So it's a Muhammad Gandhi quote played over and over again. So he lets the phone ring when it's Bob Lazar and George Knapp. So a couple of things to note, right? So George Knapp is a, uh, a broadcaster. He is one of the weekend hosts of Coast to Coast AM. And when you first meet him in that unfortunate scene uh, in the pool, he does his whole intro spiel that he usually does at the beginning of his uh, Coast to Coast episodes. They uh, could have really saved the scene using a $50 lav or lapel mic in Instead, they decide to shoot with ambient noise. So it's very loud, very echoey, very distracting, right? So a couple of quick things to note. Uh, George Knapp is a broadcaster, as I was saying before. He uh, is the person who broke the um, the Bob Lazar story in 1989 on KLAS, the Las Vegas affiliate, um, and sort of like uh, has built things out, right? So he, eventually, uh, he originally had interviewed Bob Lazar because Bob Lazar had disguised himself, didn't want to be known as a man named uh, Dennis, and then eventually uh, starts to reveal himself. Um, and so as some Someone who has sort of like lived with this story for, you know, almost 20 years at this point, more than 20 years, um, and someone who had a, you know, a very active interest in all of this, it's funny to see a lot of people come um, to the show very late and make a lot of uh, different and interesting assumptions. Um, so George Knapp and Bob Lazar have an existing relationship, right? So dating back to 1989, George Knapp is also one of the producers of the movie, which I find very interesting. And in one of the first scenes, he tells Jeremy Corbell, I'm not sure if you can bring him out. George is, you know, kind of explaining the fact that like Bob Lazar is very like... Um, crotchety and he's not sure if he like wants to like you know emerge again but i i feel like that was all a setup okay we have to first go back to the part where he's being interviewed in an echo chamber uh the irony first of all <laughs> is that this movie goes out to people in an echo chamber right the most people that are going to watch this already believe uh what bob lazar is selling but the thing that got me is like george knapp is a broadcaster like you said uh, wouldn't he realize that uh, recording audio for his uh, scene is in a in a pool? Uh, not a good idea with all that echo. And so at first, when he's announcing, he's I guess he's doing the coast to coast announcement intro, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, he does. That's his intro. Yeah, that he does on Sunday nights. So I thought, oh, they they put a weird echo on his voice. Okay, odd. And then it continued. So something else to very quickly note about Nap is at the beginning of the documentary, you get to see some uh, prime nineteen eighty nine footage. Let me tell you, my friend. He does give Richard C. Hoagland a good run for his money hair-wise. Great hair, great mustache, um, but uh, not good audio recording. Yeah, exactly. Our podcast with with our, you know, we didn't spend a lot of money on no. our equipment. No. Uh, sounds way better than some of this movie because there's another scene later on where somebody's recorded in a very echoey environment. Right. Uh, so quickly to come back to the movie, uh, it, it does feel like a very big setup, right? I feel like perhaps Bob Lazar, um, has agreed to this. And, uh, you know, Nap interviewed Corbell in 2015, for example, right? And talked about, um, some of his work there. Something that's really interesting is that, uh, in that 2015 show, Corbell revealed how he uh, met a man named Dr. Robert Krangle, who claimed to have worked alongside uh, Bob Lazar at Los Alamos in the 80s, and he said he had proof. But I didn't see any of that proof in the documentary. No, and uh, you had me listen to uh, a really good episode of the Mad Scientist podcast where they discuss uh, Element 115. In that, uh, Chris Cogswell, the host, talks about how Bob Lazar did work for Los Alamos sort of uh, indirectly through a contractor, which is why uh, one of the major 
things of proof they have is that he appears in their phone book, but it's because he's a contractor there. Right. So I do believe that he was actually like a subcontractor. Um, and that's how he ended up in there. I think his role is very minor in whatever, um, they were doing. He probably picked up a couple of things and decided to sort of spin it into this whole narrative. That's kind of my thesis statement. I'm putting it out there, uh, as someone who's sort of like lived with a lot of the evidence for the last like 20 years. I'm one of those people who actually, uh, found like a really crappy VHS rip of the Lazar tape and excerpts from the government Bible, which is a 1991, uh, uh, video documentary. I think we've talked about this before where, um, Bob Lazar like pulls up in a very stylish car as his intro. Yes, we've discussed this. He actually sent me the video clip right. of it. So we're going to drop that in the show notes because it is now live on archive.org uh, for free viewing. So definitely check that out. He walks through some of the science and some of Element 115. And I do think that uh, Chris does a really good job of sort of unpacking why Element 115, um, while uh, in theory could exist, does not exist. And then um, explain how any sort of high schooler with uh, and you know AP Chem could basically walk you through uh, why it would exist there. A lot of the particulars, including the atomic mass, he gets wrong. A lot of the properties... Uh, are gets wrong um so we're just gonna link to the show notes for that sort of um uh, side of things because i'm not uh you know a scientific man i am not you know i'll be the first to admit that that's not my forte but i do think that uh, there's a lot of important research that's done there something really interesting to to note is that uh from los alamos uh prior to that he claimed his credentials were both mit and caltech and in the documentary uh he um so corbell confronts george knapp and says how did you verify that he went to caltech and he said well i had these friends you know of of Lazarus who said they dropped him off in front of the you know in front of the library and in front of like some of the classes you know some of the buildings but no one can corroborate the fact that he was there during those years at all right and it's uh, so uh, something I used to do uh, where I work was verify degrees so so companies would call and they would ask uh, to confirm now we could never give out information unless they already had it and we could say yes or no so you can call most universities and if you have say, uh, yes, I have this applicant named Bob Lazar. He says he received a degree in such and such from your university. Did, did he yes or no? And they will say, uh, I can confirm that or I cannot confirm that. The problem with that though is that they can also, uh, let's say you don't have the degree right. So let's say you say you got a Bachelor of Science in Biology, uh, but he actually has a Bachelor of Science in Chemistry. Well, they would they would not be able to confirm that. So maybe that's the issue here, because you would have to get some sort of, of documentation from Bob Lazar to prove that he has a degree there. You'd have to you have to get authorization to check. Um, the thing is, is uh, it's not that hard to do. And if he says he went there, why would he not? give this information out so it's it's kind of odd i I tend to fall on the side of uh uh, shockingly the skeptics and not believe that he has degrees from either of those institutions well the thing is that the school claims no enrollment of him right because there's also a way in which you can sign a paper asking for degree verification on your behalf right Yes, and if he if he has done that and they've checked and he has no enrollment there, then uh, either he never went there or the men in black erased everything. So that's what he's actually claiming, right? That the government has erased his paper trail. Of course, yeah. They, of course, that's what he's going to claim because that's the easiest thing to do in these situations. Right. So something else to note um, that I've seen a lot of people kind of mentioned um, sort of... Uh, you know, on Reddit and on Twitter is that like uh, uh, Bob Lazar has been reclusive. No, he hasn't. He's been on Coast to Coast multiple times over the last 15 years. Uh, evidently, evidently on shows hosted by George Knapp. Of course, because it's, it's, it's his buddy. Like, <laughs> it's like me and you, basically. I'm surprised he doesn't have a podcast. <laughs> he's too busy, man. He's, he's too busy. Um, so, so what's he's doing now? Like it seemed in the, um, 
in the documentary, it looks like he wants to bring back that really dangerous the toy chemistry set. Like, yeah. yeah, the chemistry set with like nuclear waste in it. Sure. So he actually, so just to close off the education loop, the only thing people were able to find is that uh, in the late 70s, Lazar took electronics courses at Pierce Junior College in Los Angeles, right? Yes, that, that can be confirmed. Yes. So that's the only verifiable piece of evidence that we have that he was enrolled somewhere. So um, Bob Lazar uh, is the owner operator of a company called United Nuclear. And what they do is that they basically sort of fulfill uh, orders from companies and things like that for different kinds of parts. Um, and this sort of ties into another thing I want to discuss because one of the big uh, kind of moments of the movie at the beginning at the end is that he, Corbell, receives texts from Bob Lazar saying, I'm being raided by the FBI. Yeah. So is this real or is that just, uh, was he actually raided by the FBI for any reasons? Was it, wasn't he, didn't he go to court for something? Yes. So th- this is kind of what I want to explore, uh, jumping way ahead, I guess. Uh, so, uh, Lazar and his wife, who we also see in the documentary, were charged with violating the Federal Hazardous Substances Act for shipping restricted chemicals across state lines. So he has a history of, uh, these kinds of things, right? So I think, um, uh, it was a very neat narrative for Corbell and Lazar to say, because, um, uh, Corbell asks Lazar, Hey, uh, you keep, you had mentioned that you had smuggled some element 115 out of Los Alamos. Where is it? And then, uh, the day later he gets raided. Now, can we just talk about Corbell for a second? The movie starts with this really artsy fartsy thing that he, I guess he starts all his movies with because is he the director of that patient 13 or whatever 17? Patient, yeah. Patient John, 17. John Lee or wasn't it? Yeah. And I remember, I thought it seemed familiar. And I think that movie starts with the exact same. Uh, little vignette of uh, right. Sorry, Roger Lear. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, of. yeah, being being unbelievable or whatever. Is it mean for me to say he's like really pretentious? No. Uh, also, hiring Mickey work to read your nonsensical poetry. Oh, is just <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, once again, very stylish, very interesting. But is it uh, uh, required for the nerve? No. Yeah, there's a few things that really. Okay, uh, so can we just critique the filmmaking here for a moment? Of course. As, as, as podcast producers ourselves. Of course. Uh, well, we, as someone we, with a film degree, so like that's... Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You do that. It's true. You, you like to bring that up. Uh, you're a cinephile. Yes, you idiot. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> so I, one of my notes is, why am I looking at Bob's Band-Aid? Uh, yeah, like, that's a weird shot where he takes him into the desert and then he shoots the Band-Aid and then the body. I thought that was very odd. Like lower his sleeves or were they showing that he was like injured in some sort of like alien accident? Well, the thing is he, he works at, you know, he works at a place that just basically like, as, and you see him do these things, like there's a lot of fire around there and there's a lot of like ways in which you can easily get hurt. It, it was just odd. And Mickey Rourke, um, not the best narrator. I do believe that is the very epitome of stunt casting. It sounded like he had marbles in his mouth. Right. And the thing is that like, I understand that you sort of want to bring a higher meaning to this film, but I feel like the film is uh, uh, shockingly thin, right? So one of the few interviews that we see is with uh, Mara Santa Cruz, which is, uh, who is Bob Lazar's friend. And he details very high level, very vaguely a situation in which he saw people approach Lazar, right? So kind of weird. They didn't really get into it. I was sort of hoping for a story there. There wasn't much of a story apart for him talking about carrying guns and then they like shooting guns in the, in the desert. It was right. really strange. They cut to that uh, shot of him shooting an Uzi. Yeah. Uh, look, that whole, that, that, what is it, like five, ten minutes was very odd to me. Like, it didn't even need to be in the movie. No, it didn't. And that's the thing, too, is that I, I don't understand why it's there, right? So if he, so for example, something very interesting to sort of like think about, right? So Mary Santa Cruz and he are friends before, during, after Lazar works, um, uh, you know, <laughs> at Los Alamos, apparently. Uh, 
Lazar was arrested in 1990 for aiding and abetting a prostitution ring. Yeah, that's another really bizarre situation that they bring up. And um, so to, to me, to me, like he was involved in a lot of different things that weren't uh, Area 51 S4 related that could have gotten him shot at. Yeah, he's okay. I'm having trouble expressing. It sounds this like you're that. like, yeah, you're almost like, a, you know, blinking out here. It, it's just frustrating because this this movie at first, Bob Lazar was just like an oddity to me. I, I wasn't sure if he was lying or not or whatever. This movie did the opposite of what, was, what it aimed to do. And now I'm firmly in the camp believing he's a complete liar. Right. Uh, I mean, the Element 115 stuff. And also like the Raid, for example, right? He works with very dangerous materials. Uh, and they said that verbatim, uh, the FBI had mentioned the conversation that he had with Corbell the day before. Um, usually when you are claiming to steal things from the government, they're going to monitor you, whether it's last year or 30 years ago, right? No matter yes. what, you know, and so while it may not be element 115 in those buildings, in those research, you know, labs, there may be other things of a sensitive nature, uh, that are trustworthy created that, uh, could be very problematic, uh, if, you know, got out into the public. Yes. And uh, so speaking of stuff that got out into the public, uh, they brought up that, hand scanner that he uh, he used yes. to claim um look it's not exactly a stretch to, to have seen one of those things right it could have been in any if he worked at los alamos it may have been there as well yeah exactly that's the thing is that it doesn't all of the evidence presented doesn't necessarily um uh, uh convince me of anything other than a story this man wants to weave. so for example he, george knapp asked him to take multiple lie detector tests but as you and i've discussed on the show while lie detector tests can indicate um some presumption of whatever they're not empirical evidence like they don't get admitted into court anymore because of the fact it's not a basis of whether or not something happened it's whether you believe something or not happened and he seems to have maybe deluded himself into thinking he's this guy that was the whistleblower to area 51, which in fact did exist. And, but it's, is it aliens? Okay. So that's the other thing, right? He, there's parts of interviews where he's talking about seeing the alien bodies being brought into this room where he saw alien bodies. And then you see him saying, how now it was probably was not alien bodies. It was probably something else. Like, so directly contradicting himself. Exactly. And that's one of the many things. And I mean, like, if you want to see contradictions and sweating and things like that, uh, Joe Rogan's interview uh, with Jeremy and uh, Bob Lazar uh, is very fun to watch. And of course, Joe Rogan comes around saying, man, wow, that guy's that guy's story is so great. Joe Rogan, that's why I stopped listening to that podcast, is that he seems to basically agree with whoever his guest is. And then in the next episode, he'll talk about how crazy his guest was. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because he didn't really ask a lot of the questions I was hoping he would ask. Uh, you know, there's a lot here that, you know, it, it suggests a cool story of a man who maybe saw a little bit too much uh, of a terrestrial sort of experiment and decided to spin that. Because the thing and the trap that gets laid here is that you can't disprove much of what he's saying um, because we don't have the evidence to back it up. So it's kind of like the perfect kind of, you know, um, I don't want to say long con, but definitely like a, a narrative you can easily weave if you wanted to sort of sustain a story such as this. But then when you start getting into the element 115 stuff, it's atomic mass and a lot of its particulars, then you start sort of like losing uh, credibility there. I have a theory now that just popped into my head. What if he had this whole idea as a work of fiction and then he kind of decided that it wouldn't work as a work of fiction and tried to come out as this uh, quote-unquote whistleblower. (laughs) He could be. I mean, something to remind yourself to is um, we can now theorize that there's up to element 121 exists more or less, right? But replicating it is something else. Yeah, and like we mentioned before, anybody with a, a 
passing knowledge of chemistry would have known this before. And th- that's one definite here is that Bob Lazar is somebody who is totally interested in science. And well, he that's may the not thing have too, his degrees, he, yeah. but he's interested in it. I mean, he was building rocket cars and things like that. And his whole company is based around the fact that he loves science. He loves, you know, chemistry and things like that. And then to him, to that, I say kudos to you, my friend. Uh, very interesting stuff. Uh, I would love to see him get interviewed by a physicist, though. We can see that Bob Lazar is actually uh, mechanically minded, let's say. Yeah, that's he, a good way of saying it. He He's very skilled at what he's done with his jet cars and all that stuff. So he's not a fool, right? We know he has intelligence in him. It's just that this story is just so unbelievable. And the fact that there seem to be so many contradictions and lies, uh, that's the issue I have with it. Yeah, for he's sure. He's not credible. No, there's also the idea that he saw a lot of documentation when he's being onboarded that, uh, you know, what is it, like 10,000 years of like a graze being uh, visiting us? That, that, so he flounders on that stuff, right? First yes. he says it's aliens, then it's not aliens. And we said this before in that he saw aliens or, or didn't see aliens, but it's not clear to me if, the, or maybe it is. It, does he clearly say this is not human technology? I think he does. Yeah, he does say it's that. It's just he doesn't, he hasn't seen the aliens for no. sure. Yeah, and that's the whole, like, one of the, the larger things, too, is that he um, he does waffle on a lot of these things, right? And it's kind of hard to want to, you know, so, for example, you know, a lot of this, like, and I, I think this is my central thesis of this podcast, is I want to believe in these things so desperately, but the, the evidence isn't there yet, and I know that, like, in ufology right now, and it's something we're going to cover in the coming weeks, there's a lot of interesting things going on that are sort of, like, shifting uh, the mindset, and I think we talked about um, the idea uh, two episodes ago of, you know, the Brookings report and sort of like how uh, societally we would be affected by um, the appearance of extraterrestrials and how uh, governments may condition us to do so, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I, I want to believe in all these things, Angelo. It's just when I watch documentaries like this that are flimsy on real evidence, it, it, it bothers me. Yeah, Bob Lazar is not part of that preparation for us because uh, if anything, he's making people believe that there aren't aliens. Um, and I mean, like, there's a lot of things that go on in the documentary that kind of like, so for example, like um, uh, Lane Keck, the hypnotist, right? He goes under, and I don't know if that uh, is staged footage or not. That's also another thing that I'm, I'm having difficulty in some of these things figuring out as to whether or not they're reenactments or they're things that are actually happening. But they, you know, they uh, hypnotize him and then he regresses and then he draws a saucer. Yeah, and again, it was him. Uh, he was the one who was also interviewed with poor audio. Yes, and also at one point when they first introduced his wife, they could use a shotgun mic on her from a distance in order to better capture her sound. But that's neither here nor there because I feel like the sound was but a minor sort of like... Um, yes, uh, I know. It just <laughs> I can't stress it enough that I feel that for something that's on Netflix, like uh, you know, a major platform... This is a poorly made documentary, although there is a lot of garbage on Netflix, let's face it. I mean, it. and Netflix is just buying wholesale, right? So Yeah, so uh, there's nothing to say about the quality because there's lots of poorly made things on there. But for somebody who seems so into making his work so good, uh, Jeremy Corbell did not, uh, let's say, pay that much attention to all the details. So in a lot of these types of documentaries, you'll see something like, you know, a, a number of talking heads, other officials, other people who um, sort of can corroborate um, uh, either scientific fact or a, a story emerging. And apart from his friend 
and apart from you know george knapp there's not a lot here like for example like his uh and i i do believe the accurate term uh is hype man gene huff right the man who helped him uh co-create the 1991 video um the man that he uh has created a fireworks festival with since the 80s um you know for pyro enthusiasts uh you know the man who appeared on a lot of platforms when bob lazar didn't want to um you know uh, there's that uh, it would have been fun to see him for example and sort of see what he had to say you know there are no sort of like um uh people in the field who uh you know can corroborate any of what he's discussing really right and i understand that perhaps this is the story in the narrative of one man but when you bring in scientific fact when you bring in a lot of you know refutable claims then not try to bolster them with some kind of you know corroboration from someone else in the field who wants to uh you know uh help this narrative along then that becomes an issue to me Bob Lazar seems to have taken his his hobby of science and stuff and spun it into a whole story. It'd be like me uh, taking my hobby of magic and like spinning it into a tale that wizards actually exist. My favorite bit of trivia on IMDb, by the way, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, it is the top rated um, one is uh, UFO means unidentified flying object. Thanks, IMDb user. That, that's all it says? Yeah, yeah, that's literally very fact. useful information. Very I know, useful. I know. Also, the other one says the Pentagon has officially confirmed that there was, in fact, a $22 million government program to collect and analyze anomalous aerospace threats. But once again, that is analyze and collect threats, not, hey, here we already have the threat. We're working on it. Yes. And that's a well-established thing. It's, it's just yeah. funny how people trot out these things all the time. Um, and uh, it seems like Bob Lazar just has been trotted out again um, to, to make a bit of bucks on this, uh, on this documentary, which I'm assuming didn't make very much money. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, some of the interesting stuff that I came across um, while doing some research is that uh, there's like very uncorroborated evidence out there that like uh, <laughs> Bob Lazar actually gave Element 115 to Robert Bigelow. Yeah, uh, Chris mentions him also on. Oh, did he? Uh, right. That, okay. Yes. Yeah, on that That's mad true, scientist yeah. uh, yes, yes, yes. episode. Although apparently um, Robert Bigelow is not a big fan of uh, Bobby Lazar. No, because uh, he probably realized the Bobs that don't mix. Else. No, <laughs> um, there's also like a, a blogspot piece from 2011 that goes into how um, Lazar made up this own story, and then he was hoping to make money off of it, which is kind of what I would uh, definitely believe. Yeah, people always say, oh, I'm not in this for the money. Look at this. But here you are filming a documentary, appear on TV, going on podcasts. I think he's trying to get something out of this. And uh, he's milking it for all it's worth, is is my final opinion after watching this uh, quote-unquote film. Um, am I being too harsh on the movie? No, uh, yes. no, no, no. Because, uh, look, the way Jeremy Corbell like, presents himself as being this amazing filmmaker... Uh, I'm sorry. I, I don't feel he's very good. Um, hopefully he won't come after us or something. I, I doubt he listens to the podcast. If he does, hey, come on. We'll talk about it. Double density podcast at gmail.com. You can hit us up at double underscore density on Twitter too. Um, something quick to note before I forget is that the uh, Bob Lazar and Robert Bigelow uh, connection is actually very interesting and it's there. There is a uh, corporation in Nevada uh, listed as Zeta, Zeta Reticuli 2, which lists them both as officers. Was he the first person to bring up the Zeta Reticuli thing, or was that the the Hills? I think it was the Hills in the sixties, right? Okay, I I wasn't sure because I've I've heard uh, conflicting things about that. But again, I I find his story uh, completely uh, non credible. I was going to say incredible, but that that makes it sound better than it actually is. So something interesting that I sort of wanted to think about too is, uh, you know. <sighs> What would it take for you in this story to believe? Would it be like actual evidence of Element 115 working? No, let's start with him actually have gone to MIT and Caltech. 
Let's start with okay. that. So we need to find people who uh, went to school with him, right? Because these aren't tiny schools either necessarily. So there must have been people who had seen him in class. Why hasn't someone come forward? Why hasn't he found one of his ex-classmates and said, hey, can you stick up for me? Yeah, if that actually pans out to be true, then okay, look, he's not lying about one of the biggest chunks from his story. So that that would make sense that uh, a secret military installation would hire uh, somebody with a master's degree from Caltech and MIT. That would actually make sense. A uh, associate's degree from a community college, not so much. Just because he's good at build, building jets for cars, I don't buy that part of the story at all. Yeah, I don't either. And it's unfortunate, but I mean, like, this is what it is, right? Uh, these are the facts as they're presented. Uh, you know, his credentials, um, at one point, uh, I was listening to Corbell being interviewed on Ryan Sprague's podcast, and he said, I, you know, I don't care whether or not Bob is lying, I think. And I'm paraphrasing here. I can't remember what the exact quote was. But that was like a huge red flag to me is that like, um, uh, and at one point during the documentary, Bob says, I don't care about the people who get lost in the particulars. And that's the, the devil's in the details, right? Uh, these particulars all amount to something. If you're lying about something uh, as... Well, is it trivial? No, but if, if, if it's part of your backstory, if you're lying about where you went to school, I can't believe anything else you're saying. Sorry, you just lose all credibility. It's kind of a domino effect, right? So like, you know, if you're being disingenuous about one thing, then like what's stopping you from believing you, uh, you know, for everything else too. I do believe that this was perhaps a, a way in which to get your name out and make some money. That video, you know, from 1991 was uh, on VHS and being sold, right? So. Yeah, who's to say you're actually married, Brian? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is there empirical evidence that this happened? Who knows? I think one of the more infuriating things is like this is sort of like what's taking center stage right now um, in ufology, right? Like what's the popular thing that's being talked about and discussed apart from all of the uh, to the star stuff, which we'll probably get into later this summer. Um, but, you know, the thing is like this is sort of the, the document that is sort of being like contested at this time instead of like real credible, interesting kind of stuff. Um, even, you know, for example, the um, we talked about the Michigan UFO flap, right? From 1994. Yeah. Like a couple of months ago. That had more more eyewitnesses credibility to it than, than this whole story way more we have actual audio of people in positions of authority following and tracking this thing regardless of what it was who knows what it was it probably wasn't aliens but it was something interesting that was happening and we have documentation of that uh, but again this guy there's more documentation there's more documentation in the lake the the falcon lake the stan mickelack story than there is to this yeah right? Yeah. And if, yeah, you see like the burn marks on him and all that stuff. Right. But in, in this case, you, again, I'll, I'll say it again. It comes down to him lying about where he's gone to school. That right. bothers me significantly. And if you lie about that, it puts everything else at risk. Yeah, I agree with that. If at the base, you can't even get your own history straight and you can't find one classmate who could come out and say, Hey, I went to school with him. Kind of problematic, right? So apart I mean, from people that dropped him off in front of a building. Oh, I dropped you off. Like, you know, I, I dropped you off in front of the bank once. Oh, it means you work at a bank. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, kind of funny story. I had a friend who, uh, the first summer of university, uh, lied to his parents about having a job and then would go hide out at the student newspaper offices all day. Right. So they would drop him off at one place and he'd say, Hey, I'm going to my job. And then, uh, you know, go eat lunch. Uh, in the newspaper offices until he finally found a, a job a month later. Um, kind of similar, I guess. They, so again, back to Corbell and Bob Lazar, both of them strike me as the type of person that if they did have a PhD, they would really insist on you calling them doctor no matter what. Well, of course you got it. Right. And so one of the other things that I kind of wanted to talk about is that, like, if you actually did steal government material, you would be in jail so quickly. Exactly. That's the thing. Also, he's free. 
Yeah, we live in a post 9-11 world, right? Where like even the whisper of something, you know, domestic terroristy goes wrong. Um, they're going to investigate. So I think it has less to do with the alien stuff and more to do with the United Nuclear. Uh, we have radioactive ores on site, et cetera, um, stuff. Yeah, those are controlled substances. You can't have them. So if he's selling them to children in chemistry sets, um, of course, somebody's going to go after him. And the FBI being uh, the FBI being the one that makes the most sense in this case. Yeah. Also, uh, something to sort of tie all of these things into is that we've discussed this a couple of times, but I feel like the definitive answer about Area 51 is not Annie Jacobson's book, Area 51. It is a testing site for, you know, uh, experimental aircraft, right? I, I do feel like that's the most plausible experience, uh, sorry, explanation, and also uh, terrestrially based, right? Because I do want to believe that General Airlines flies people in to go uh, reverse engineer a nuclear tech, right? So, like, for example, like, you know, we've discussed this about why cell phones can't capture UFOs. It's because, you know, we reverse engineered a lot of their tech, and so therefore they're impervious to us you know microwave technology is rumored to have come from there etc etc right so i mean like there's a lot of fun threads to follow down the area 51 line this definitely is not one of them area 51 exists for sure we know it's there i've been there i've been to the periphery of that yeah and they tested military aircraft there that's why you see weird lights in the sky because it's uh, high-tech military equipment there that's being tested i don't think they're actually actively testing there anymore am i wrong they i'm not even sure anymore like what happens there right because it's out of the bag now. People know it's there. So why would you test there anymore? You got to move it. Yep. And now it's underground. Did you want to go to be able to uh, maybe start a Kickstarter or a GoFundMe to go, you know, literally just ask what they're up to? How's our Sedona one doing? Uh, very poorly, my friend. Very, very poorly. <laughs> now let's not start that then. It's embarrassing, I think. <laughs> Perfect. Let's just not do anything in that case and just keep on keeping on. So I think this is a good place to uh, to finish talking about our buddy uh, Bob. I actually, so before I forget, I actually had to split up the viewing of this into two parts because I was getting so enraged. I think I fell asleep. Well, that's not a surprise. I can't remember. I, I, I think I fell asleep, but it was... Is it because, like Afro Man said, now that weed is legal because I got high? Probably not. <sighs> All right. Well, uh, good things to note is that next episode, I will not have you as a co-host. We're doing a newlyweds episode with my wife and I won't have to deal with this annoying noise or texts about magic books for the next little while. And I'm going to be so excited for that. So if I'm you're gonna, looking for us before you actually record with Steph, I'm going to go teach her a few false shuffles. Perfect. And give me some sound effects of uh, card flipping. I will definitely do that. Yeah, give me some, give me some decks. You know what I mean. Uh, anyway, so They're not if expensive want to find at us, Costco. That's that's the tip tip of the day. If you want uh, really good decks uh, of cards, go to Costco. Super cheap. Uh, what brand? Bicycle. Bicycle sold at the dollar store too, my friend. Don't forget about that. Yeah, but they're like three bucks. Are they? I don't know. I've never priced out a pack of cards here, my friend. You know, at co- the best price for cards is uh, is pretty much at costco you can find stuff at the dollar store it depends because they have a lot of cheap decks at the dollar store if you uh, have questions tip, about magic don't buy, illusions yeah, don't buy, other things yeah, buy. <laughs> double density podcast at gmail.com you can find us on twitter double underscore density same thing on uh instagram we are double density podcast we're gonna put up a picture of us at my wedding i'm looking great in the suit i'm very happy with that you were looking great uh you know with your glasses and your smile um, yeah i didn't that, i didn't have my suit jacket on at that it's time true we're outside, it's true yeah. I will. Uh, we can also post a picture of me in my full suit uh, roasting a marshmallow. <laughs> Let's do that. Actually, let's post multiple pictures of us in suits. Let's do that. Great. I feel like it's like the. I feel like this is a Corbell Lazar move here. Yeah. Does Does uh, Bob uh, own a suit? He probably does. Are you kidding me? Of course. Go to court when he gets arrested. Yeah.
Yeah, yeah, for his prostitution charges. Anyways, and with that, Angelo, I feel like this is, uh, you know, a good place to close episode 113 of the Double Density Podcast. And Angelo, too bad it wasn't week. episode 115, Brian. I know, I know. That would have made the most sense. I just thought of that too, right now. We're too hot to handle. Yeah. Too hot to handle, my friend. Uh, All right, you know, sorry, I interrupted you. It's fine. I'm going to live. I can't wait to not have you in my in my earphones for a while. Uh, tune in next episode as we head straight for the sun in our solar-powered gyrospheres. That sounds uh, dangerous. Happy, happy anniversary, Angelo. Happy New Year. <laughs>